Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus. Zen is your go-to for stress, relief and balance. And Mojo offers that clean, natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine buzz without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with London New Tropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code SaturnReturns at LondonNewTropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with lion's mane and rhodiola, in their flow blend. Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code SATINRETURNS. Enjoy. Today I am joined by someone who I was introduced to not so long ago. It was an interesting sort of journey of us connecting because I'd heard about Fingal at an event. Someone told me about this amazing tarot reader and I made a sort of mental note. I was like, hmm, I feel like I really want to connect with him, but I didn't want to kind of be pushy about it. So I just left it. And then about eight months later, someone from his team actually that I was speaking to anyway reached out and was like hey you should connect with Finkel and then we had this amazing session together and for those of you that aren't familiar with tarot it's sort of a way it's like a session that you have where I mean Finkel's abilities are quite extraordinary he's he's very much communicating with spirit and when I first had the session with him I was like whoa this is this is nuts but in a space where I feel there are a lot of charlatans, I really respect him and his practice and think he's fantastic 
hence why I've got him on the show. So he is the founder of something called the Wellness Foundry and they offer readings and courses and retreats and building out this whole sort of esoteric world. So there's a lot of synergy between what he's creating and Saturn Returns and so I felt it was the right time to bring him on. Also to kind of bring you guys into my more personal life I guess in a way because he's someone that I've had private sessions with. I'm always getting asked can you give me a healer's number like you said in this thing you had this person and so here we go here's Finkel and in this conversation we really discuss how he got into this work his sort of rock bottom and spiritual awakening he was previously working in fashion before he had this wake up and that was in a sort of crisis point for him to get there and then how he tapped into these gifts that he has which are very very clear to me and so I hope you enjoy this conversation if tarot is something you don't know very much about it's very interesting as well as just his personal journey Fingal, hi 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 how How are you you? doing yeah I'm really well I'm really well I'm just pleased January's out of the way really I know she was grueling wasn't she she was she She was was a cruel and long month she was she was cruel I feel like a year was in January absolutely so absolutely I'm glad to see the back of her completely um for the audience that doesn't know mm. just to kind of give them a bit of context of how we met we did a reading together yes, which was amazing and also I think I told you this but I'd already heard about you I think probably about a year ago I met someone and she started telling me about you know this man he had the spiritual oh. awakening and then went into tarot and I was like, wow, I should really do a reading with him someday. And then you sort of appeared in my life from oh, a different no way. angle. Oh, I didn't know that. a year later. Yeah, oh, fabulous. That's amazing. So for the audience that doesn't know, would you be able to explain a little bit about what you do and who you are? Yes. Um, so my name's Fingal. Um, I always have to say that a few times over. Just so think, is he making that up? Did he sneeze? Was that actually his name? Kaggy no. and Fingal. Kaggy and Finger. I mean, it's Lord of the Rings to a T, isn't it? It's wonderful. Um, it's funny because I always say if my parents wanted me to be an accountant, they should have called me Steve. But with a name like Fingal, I could only ever really end up as a tarot reader. It's kind of where does the name come from? It's Irish. Okay. Yeah, it's Irish. But my my parents took quite a few liberties with both the spelling and the pronunciation. Right. They just kind of they were very artistic with it. Um, but yeah, so I, I work. So my entry into this kind of world, which is to do with spirituality, and mysticism, uh, very much about the language of the soul. Um, The entry point to that was the tarot, but it has over the last kind of four years expanded into different areas. So um, one of my great passions is about blending creativity and spirituality as well. So I work as a psychic artist and I'll explain a little bit more about that later. Um, But predominantly um, kind of 80% of my work at the moment is as a tarot reader and psychic. So I offer one-to-one sessions with people and um, a a part a large part of the impetus of what I do is about kind of there are many many misconceptions around the tarot mm-hmm. it's uh it's still slightly a hang up of um draped in purple velvet end of the pier kind of uh stuff but it really is about a language of the soul so that's what I'm really interested in is who we are why we're here and how to really align to our soul's purpose purposes 
So again, tarot is kind of one of the only ways, is one of the many ways that I do that. Um, but I work as a psychic as well, um, work as a medium. So um, communications, work with spirit guides. And how did you get into it? Like, What was the background and what was your sort of journey into coming into this mm. space? So I traditionally worked in fashion. So I was working in fashion for about eight years. And like many, many people that I've met on this journey, a lot of them were in fashion, they had, they hit health crisis. So normally spiritual awakening is catalyzed by crisis. And I think, sorry, a rock bottom, a rock bottom, or I I really think crisis is really necessary. Mm -hmm. So many people shy away from it and really resist crisis. But I think from crisis comes realization and an awakening. Um, So mine was a health crisis. So I, for a period of about a year, maybe slightly shy, I was just fainting all the time. So I would be walking down the street, planking it. I would, um, yeah, be at work and I'd faint. Um, And I, one time, I I probably shouldn't joke about this, but if you want to get seen in A&E really quickly, just faint in reception because they'll whisk you through. So that happened as well. I went and I said, oh, I'm not not feeling very well and fainted. So I spent five days in hospital because it had just been happening again and again and again and again. And um, they just couldn't. They said, no, you're fine. There's nothing. There's nothing going on. You just need to rest and relax. And then it happened again whilst I was on a Buddhist retreat. So I'm an erstwhile Buddhist. I studied Buddhism for eight years, practiced Buddhism for eight years. Um, And it happened again when we were on retreat. And I went from retreat to A&E, from a silent retreat into A&E. And that polarization was the moment that I just thought, I cannot do this anymore. I just cannot do this anymore. So thankfully, I went back from A&E into the retreat and one of the leaders said, look, have you thought about acupuncture? So I gave that a go. And it was the first time that I'd been introduced to the language of energy. Mm -hmm. Um, So all the stuff was very foreign to you at that stage, but you did have your spiritual practice and you were already in that space. Yes. And I suppose with Buddhism, uh, one of my kind of viewpoints is the Buddha taught us how to think and Jesus taught us how to feel. Mm -hmm. Those kind of, they're the great archetypes or the great teachers of those two kind of philosophies. So in Buddhism, when we're practicing, it's very mind heavy. It's much mindfulness and the way you think. And there wasn't, and there is still embodiment, but there was this kind of slightly missing piece just for me. For me within it, it was kind of linking with the soul. So I did have a spiritual practice of sorts. But it was interesting because all around that time, I was going to Reiki practitioners, Buddhist, uh, Buddhist practitioners, all of these people saying, this is describing my experiences and saying, what's going on? And they go, you should be fine. I don't know. We don't know what that is. So it was a deeply, deeply scary and isolating time because no one could kind of contextualize or even diagnose what was going on for me. Mm-hmm. Was it a, a physical thing as well as a, an emotional thing that you were going through in terms of the fainting? And was it across yeah, every Yeah, so they, they looked at my... I went through every scan. They looked at my heart. They looked at my brain. They looked at my blood pressure. They looked at everything. Everything was good. But as in, did you feel emotionally in a sort of turbulence? Oh, I see. I see. Um, Yeah, so only much later, looking back, I just realized I was so ungrounded. 
there was just nothing about me that was grounded. I even remember talking to my mum a little while afterwards and saying, explaining these experiences. And she says, yeah, she's always just had one, one, one toe on the ground. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect description of how I was. Because particularly in fashion, and I'm not blaming fashion at all, but it, 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 it exacerbated this tendency that I have, that I'm still working through, to be incredibly hard on myself and really push, 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 push. Um, if it's if it's not struggle, then it's not worth doing. Is kind mm-hmm. of a lot of the mentality that I'm still unpicking. Um, so it was it was it was partly to do with that, but it was also partly a kind of existential escapism. Like I just I was finding things so either confusing or frustrating or um, unnerving that I think my soul was just like I, I want out here I just I just want to and so it kind of on time and time it was leaving and I was just planking wow. it um, and also my body was saying well if you're not going to ground we're literally going to get you on the ground yeah. gonna, I'm going to place you on the ground so you get it so I had to go through that process for about a year and then it was only after through a series of fortunate events that I um, discovered my mentor, um, a guy called Gary Wright. And when I met him, <clears throat> he worked through the College of Psychic Studies, which is a fabulous place. When I met him, he just started talking in, in a language that I thought, oh, it's, it was a language that I inherently knew, but didn't know I could speak. Yeah. So it was like being fluent in Russian, but having never heard, and, and then you hear the person coming to you start speaking in Russian, and then you, you're able to reply in the same language. Really odd sensation, but the most exhilarating thing. Um, and it was it was really interesting actually because the College of Psychic Studies is literally around the corner from the RCA where I studied on my MA. So there was this real kind of coming full circle, coming to the same part of London, but for an entirely different reason. It was deeply fascinating. But from there. It just it just was able to string all the pearls on a single thread for me so that I could see, right, this is what's been going on. And, you know, it's, it still took two years of really having to ground and ground and ground and ground and ground. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I was sitting in meditation. I love the fact that I could talk about this crazy stuff with you, but I was sitting in meditation and this tree just started growing through my body and coming out of the crown of my head. And there was this real realization, right, you've grounded. You're here. You've arrived. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big, big advocate for grounding because I think it's a kind of pandemic, actually. I think it's that a bit we're ungrounded. Yeah. Mm. I think so many of us. I've never met somebody that is too grounded. Mm-hmm. I've met many, many people that are grounded enough, but I've never met anybody that's really just grounded, grounded, grounded. Because it's the demands of... The world that we live in. Exactly. That's just go, go, go. And yeah, it doesn't really cater to that way of being so much. I love what you just said about, you know, it felt like a language that you knew. Because I was actually, I spoke to someone else about this. And I feel that a lot of people I meet in the spirituality community, whether that's they find astrology or tarot, mm. whatever it might be, mm. or human design, it's it's a case of remembering for them. It's not something they're learning in the way that other people might be. It's this real coming home feeling. Yes. And it sounds like that was your experience. Absolutely. For people, you know, that might be having those nudges or those feelings of something being off track and you know, for you it manifested in fainting, but for other people it will be different things. Yes. What is your kind of advice on, you know, 
how do they know whether that is their body or their soul's way of telling them something to nudge them towards something? Because like we mentioned, they're often synonymous with each other, mm. these sort of rock bottoms and spiritual awakenings and the discomfort or the unease that we're quite quick to kind of solve with a pill or something and just kind of put a plaster on it. It's like actually it's the body or the soul's way of trying to tell you something to communicate to you. So is that something that you've noticed with the people that you work with? And what is your advice for people on that? A hundred percent. This is this is like one of my greatest passions, that exact question. And this is why I set up the Wellness Foundry was because I spent two years in isolation, not knowing, well, not even knowing how to ask the question that I, I, I didn't even know how to contextualize it or put into words what was going on. I, I didn't know how to write, ask the right questions. So thankfully, thankfully, this stuff is starting to enter into the fray and starting to come into the collective conscious a lot more, which is really exciting. Um, and, you know, uh, just to be clear, I don't want to suggest that everybody has to reach crisis point and, uh, and yeah, end up fainting before they should start listening to the, to the nudges. But yeah, they'll, co- they'll, come, they'll come in like nudges. I was listening to Oprah the other day and it's this thing, she explains it as well. And I've heard many people where it's like, you'll get these little sort of pebbles or these little whispers and then you ignore it and then suddenly you've got boulders coming down and yes. throwing you off course but there's an opportunity to kind Absolutely. of and i was just ignoring the, yeah. the opportunities as many of yeah. us do i Me always too. call them god's breadcrumbs that's mm. the, that's the way i describe them is that they are those little synchronicities they are those nudges they are those inner twangs that is saying something else is going on here and you know this this is sounds a bit crude but it's what keeps me in business because all of these people are coming to me saying i know there's something else but i don't know how to adjust or i don't know how to change change track or um and that is that's really really difficult that is really difficult and what i say about um because often, often the thing that really stops people is that they don't have a community of people in order to bounce off and say, no, this is perfectly normal. What you're experiencing is fine. This is the way to work with it. This is what to look at. This might be really helpful to you. Because in fact, they often have the opposite. Yes. Yes. Yeah, there's yeah. people ridiculing their experiences or sniffing at them or rolling their eyes. or mm. Because a lot of it's to do with the fact that as children we are inherently imaginative it's the first thing that we are able to do as as uh, we're not taught that we have imaginary friends we have imaginary experiences you see kids with toys and they're creating this whole scenario in their minds but actually in our schooling we're taught how to have this critical mind and the rational mind and this is part of the reason that it gets very sniffed at because it's like oh you're still in the world of imagination mm. you're still it, this is fantasy and make-believe and that in, in somehow equates to you being foolish mm-hmm. in a certain way. Um, but I think for the advice for those that are feeling that kind of nudge, feeling that encouragement, is to just ask. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be a kind of support group or kind of tangible evidence. Um, but just ask the universe, just ask, start asking for signs, start asking for, it's a little bit what you were saying there right at the beginning of things come into our path when we need them. 
as 100%. long as we're aware enough and open enough to kind of recognize and spot that mm-hmm. and also a huge 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 thing again going back to this ungroundedness is cultivate as much stillness in your life as possible which is something that we just do not do we fill it up with everything and even when people are because when people say to me what is your biggest piece of advice for your spiritual practice i'm like stillness actually carving out the time to just you know lie on my sofa or just kind of sit there and listen to some calming music and just be mm-hmm. present in my own mm-hmm. body because we just don't do that and if we don't create that stillness then we don't create that opportunity to hear those things or or notice that kind of intuitive ping absolutely from when you kind of went through that whole journey of feeling like ungrounded but then had that experience with the tree and everything when did you really recognize your own gifts was that something that came at that point or was that something that was always present for you it's 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 interesting because only after starting this work again um and it, it goes back to what you were saying before about we are spiritual beings having a human experience and when we come down on earth we forget everything we have to relearn it and then when we discover this part of ourselves we're like ah there you are it's not it's like a, a friends that you didn't even know you had um and it's only now that I look back on my childhood experiences and realize that actually some of because I was enormously well I am enormously sensitive in many many ways Um, But I was an enormously sensitive child as well. And a lot of this was about a sense of kind of overwhelm or being deeply empathic and just understanding the nuances and humours of those around me and finding that... Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Yeah. Um, And I also remember at about the age of 11, lying on my bed thinking, right, I'm going to astral project and like like willing myself to astral project. And I had no idea where that came from. No one, like my parents did sit me down one day and say, right, we're going to teach you how to astral project. <laughs> it's just something I used to do. And we- What is astral projecting? Astral projection is, is basically, um, oh God. Like, is that when you like come out of your- yeah, body, so, so you have you have seven layers of the energetic body. So you've got the physical body, the emotional, mental, um, the soul body, and then you've got the astral body, which I think is the fifth, fourth or fifth layer. Um, but it's exactly as you say, it's, it's when you leave the physical body. So it's like you your consciousness is still attached to your energetic body, but it's no longer attached to your physical body. Mm-hmm. And this might all sound like absolute hooey, but, but it's, it's techniques that allows for remote viewing so that that people can go and see places either on earth or in the galaxy and it's stuff that the military uses they actually train soldiers in in order to to remote view and use processes of astral projection to go and spy in particular areas. and this is something that's factual that yeah. they yeah. yeah 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 there's there's the whole documentaries there's documentation about this whole process and this wow. is this is the thing a lot of people kind of really boohoo this but it's kind of... yeah it's it's interesting how it gets this sort of dismissed as new age kind of woo woo stuff but then you hear about that but obviously that's just not i mean it's not as common knowledge for people. They don't think, oh yeah, that's, everyone knows that the military's doing this. <laughs> Channel 4 News. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. It's, this is what I love about this work because any anyone you talk to, even the greatest sceptics or even those that are cynic, 
um, or empiricist, they will all have a story. They will all have, actually, this weird thing happened to me once, mm-hmm. or, oh, actually, there was a time when I was younger, X, Y, Z. And to go back to your earlier question of, like, when did I realise it within myself? There was a definite tipping point where I realised, oh, because I think for a long time, you do just assume I'm making this up. I'm making this up. Even though did some- you ever think you were sort of mad? So this is, yeah, that's a whole, that's a podcast itself. But I want to come back to that question because, again, this is a huge, something that's really, really close to me. Um, but there was one moment when I was studying and I was sat opposite somebody and I had my eyes closed, which we're not, not meant to do. But anyway, I had my eyes closed and in this, on the screen of my mind came this red fox and I hadn't said a word. And then my tutor stood behind me and said, oh, we've got a red fox. And it was that moment where I kind of went, what on earth is going on? Because he'd, yeah. he'd, he'd basically read my mind. It was just <gasps> the oddest, oddest thing. He basically saw the same red fox on the screen of his mind, but we, we hadn't said a word. So I was like, something's going on here. This isn't just make-believe. So I think that was a real tipping point. But I still, you know, I still come out of readings thinking, did I just make that up? But thankfully, <laughs> I've had, I've, I've done enough of them now to kind of, that's, that slowly decreases. But mm-hmm. it's always there. But I think it's healthy that it's there. Yeah. Because as soon as you go. Yeah, <laughs> the Messiah complex. It's a real. It's I'm starting a real... with the. the <laughs> I'm one step closer, but I think this is as far as I can go. I think next yeah. time, if you see me in a tavern, you might have to just pull me aside and say, "Mingle, do you want to? Do you want to maybe bring this back?" But in your question around mental illness is deeply. It's deeply, deeply personal to me because both my parents worked in mental health, mm-hmm. and where I grew up had a mental hospital attached to the the village um so we when i was growing up we had the most just fantastic people around just just you would see it again it was it was wonderful as kids we'd be in the playground and then you would have this kind of quite clearly disturbed person but as kids you just interacted with them it really took out any fear or any kind of judgment and it didn't feel fearful no no it's because as kids you just think it's different but you don't quite know why yeah so in, in in a way it's quite kind of it's quite fantastic and we had one guy in the village who had later turned out had um, a benign tumour pushing on his pituitary gland but it meant that he was he was seven foot or something just shy of seven foot and huge and he had an Alice in Wonderland complex so he he could go into shops but think that he was too big to get back out of them so I remember as like an eight-year-old kid going no it's fine it's fine Reuben come through it's all right and you kind of guide him through and you say thank you very much for your Mars bar like that was just that was just part of the interaction wow to go back to your earlier question yes absolutely I spent about a year thinking am I is this madness is Mm -hmm. this psychosis and I've met people that have been training as well that have um that again have similarly have been even been sectioned at times but then have done have done the psychic development and that's all managed itself it's all settled now of course i wouldn't be as kind of brazen to say all mental illness is just spiritual and and psychic awakening it's, it's a really interesting sort of touch point because what you mentioned a second ago about being a deeply sensitive person and i think as soon as you said that what came to mind for me is how 
for a lot of people that perhaps go in a different direction, they who can't contain or don't know how to manage that sensitivity and are empathic in that way. And they then turn to, you know, numbing out or substances. But then what happens is they might trigger something. But the language that is often used with people that have these mental illnesses and stuff, it is along this kind of vein. And I've had, you know, personal experiences with people that have either been you know in my family or that I've been very close with that have had drug-induced psychosis and it has ended up in being sectioned and stuff like that and I find it a, a triggering area because there's a lot of it that makes a lot of sense but it's just not grounded mm-hmm. and it's quite fascinating how you know to to navigate that space and to to feel, you know, the practices that you have to do to keep your sort of spiritual hygiene or looking after yourself and stuff like that. Because otherwise you could have those same abilities, but if it's not handled in a kind of healthy way, it can go, yeah. Completely. And actually I've worked with people when when I've run intuitive development groups and done one-to-one psychic mentorship, that have got onto that borderline because of the spiritual hygiene or the lack thereof, because no one, no one talks about it. And actually you're completely right. If that's left unchecked and unmanaged, then it can go the other way. It can swing into psychosis because Mm -hmm. you're not able to switch it off. It really brings to mind um, a client that I had who had asked me to look at their mother and I started tuning in and all I could see was this mother's crown chakra was just wide open, just just enormously wide open and kind of too much. And, you know, even looking at it, I didn't quite know exactly the language of how to adjust that. And I remember saying to this client, oh, it really feels as though your mother is seeing things, kind of illusionary things because of this thing he's um the client said oh it's really interesting because my mother often says you can't see what I see so it it was it was it was really fascinating to realize actually no I think uh, there is a kind of energetic and psychic aspect that plays a part into into some what we label as mental illness um and that's why these kind of conversations are so so important and probably why people find it quite scary as well when people are going through that and it feels quite like, yeah. whoa, you know, no, what absolutely. A, because on some level it's feeling that there is something to it, as in it's not just yes. complete nonsense. Yes, yes. Because I remember when when I started training, I couldn't go on the underground for a year just because the whole process was so overwhelming. I was with my now husband and he used to get really frustrated and go like pay attention why but I was just in everybody's conversations I was just yeah really... it must have been exhausting yeah yeah it was it was how did you learn to manage that and also to kind of you explained a bit at the beginning about being a medium and communicating with spirits and stuff like that so when did that kind of really come into play and how did you learn to how have you learned to manage it and to kind of harness that so it's not something that's overwhelming. I always say, I often use the analogy of you would never leave the front door of your house open and just say, 
come in if you feel feel free and you know occasionally you'd have nice people come in and go oh your house is pretty and leave and then occasionally you would get people that were perhaps aren't so respectful of your, of your space so energetically you, you wouldn't do the same you wouldn't just leave yourself wide open for and again this is often what I'm unpicking and un, undoing with people that are, are very at the beginning of their their journey that they have very acute and very pronounced psychic or medium mystic abilities but they are a come one come all kind of thing the other Open analogy door, yeah. is, is like it's basically like driving through new york city with your taxi light on but you don't want to take lifts it's it's a very kind of confused message so often um what well, it's about boundaries it's really about being clearly boundaried and that's just intention really there are ceremonies and rituals and kind of meditations that i do to kind of work with that but ultimately it's just the intention of and again, this is this is part of the issue is that it's become quite a fear-based language of I must protect myself. Well, it's gets, it gets passed around a lot as people say boundaries. It's like, well, how do they actually, what does that actually mean? And how does someone actually action that? And obviously for you, having the abilities you do, it's probably quite an extreme end. But then I think for other people that just perhaps are a bit too open energetically and are people pleasers or just say yes to everything, it's like, it's the same sort of thing yep. in terms of I think we often I'm definitely guilty of it you know and I find it hard to actually until I'm drained until I'm at that point yeah. of I, I have nothing else to give do I only recognize that I've given too much yeah. so what are the kind of actual literal tools or rituals that you have the first and foremost is stillness Again, it goes back to the stillness because that is the time that you realise, oh, I am a bit depleted. Oh, I am giving too much. Oh, I am actually just needs a bit of nourishment. Oh, I, oh, um, the big thing that was for me was if you're ruminating on something. So if you're thinking about it mm -hmm. after the event, then there's still an energetic attachment there. So okay. that is always your first go to sign of actually I haven't cleared that out. I haven't made that boundary within myself um strong enough so part of that so for example when I used to do readings I would kind of sit and go oh I shouldn't have said that or maybe I didn't get that quite right or and I would think about the person for a day after because mm -hmm. I hadn't kind of cleared that off properly so now as in after the reading you hadn't cleared it yes yes because mm -hmm. it's my job to tune in energetically and pro poke around with the client's permission so I never do that they, you know a lot of people ask me at parties what are you picking up on me now well absolutely nothing I'm not <laughs> rifling through your drawers <laughs> um, very difficult on a date <laughs> thankfully I don't have to date anymore because I'm married but when, they, when you start poking around you go oh mother issues oh yeah no not earning enough <laughs> no, um, but there's one they make life a lot easier <laughs> it's great it's really great but it's, it's yeah it's a funny argument go on to so many tangents but um it's one thing that i do i am determined to write a book at one point which is the psychic's guide to idioms because old idioms have so much truth in them and one idiom is i wash my hands of you and again that's not it sounds almost quite ruthless it kind of brings to mind an exasperated mother that's done everything yeah. that they can with their kind of tear away son but actually it's something that weirdly I was told from lots of different kind of directions, but we've got meridians up our forearms that connect directly to the heart and go through. So when you wash your hands and wash your forearms, um, you, you're, you're energetically kind of breaking. And one really interesting thing is that I am, um, 
I have started teaching uh, one-to-one psychic mentorship to somebody that's based in the Middle East because there it's you're not really yeah. kind of allowed. So, so I'm working with her. So I've been giving her all these kind of rituals like washing hands and, and time and time again she's been saying, oh, that's in the Quran. Oh, that's in the oh, Quran. Wow. Oh, we've got that in Islam. And it's really interesting. So, and what was great about that is that it gave her enough confidence that I wasn't just saying take off your clothes and dance under the moonlight and she's going <laughs> feel free no, I mean there's probably value in that as well but it, it's just something that she could it wasn't conflicting with her beliefs exactly so it both supported what I was giving her but also supported what I was giving uh, it, it supported me as well thinking well, actually because these are just kind of mm. techniques that I've collected over time but the, the, the fact that it was reinforced in scripture was really really fascinating but things like washing your hands after an exchange watching if you're ruminating on things and if you are just say right that's enough I'm going to put an end to it salt baths are amazing as well particularly when you're feeling really energetically kind of grubby um saging is kind of a good quick go-to but the best thing really for keeping yourself in energetic check is kind of changing the scene so if you feel that you're in a bit of an energetic loop or you're in a bit of an energetic go out nature is by far the biggest and greatest cleanser of our energies mm-hmm. so any time that you can go and walk by trees go and sit by a tree just do any of that stuff that's so grounding and that's so nourishing it's really that's definitely definitely one of my go-tos in terms for your you know what you do in your career obviously you get momentarily or in sessions sort of entangled or immersed with people's energies because you have to Mm. but for people that might not be aware of this or that kind of thing and the language when we're in relationship with people we often get an energetic entanglement and then for when people break up they don't know how you know it's when sometimes you'll bump into that person or like there's still a chord there and I think that that's something that a lot of people message me about and ask me about because they can go for years while still and, and part of them kind of wants to keep it there but then also part of them's like well I don't know how to to cut that cord so what what would you advise for people that are kind of going through that that they need to actually clear that kind of energy um yeah we've all been there facebook kind of scrolling <laughs> through looking through all the images who's that well they could check their profile or the, 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 <laughs> we, yeah we've all been there it's also the thing the room like speaking with the girlfriend about it when you're kind of like i'm not gonna do that so there is that thing of what we're speaking about for if you're ruminating but that is also a natural process so it yeah. isn't just i would be worried if people were like guillotines down and i've never thought of him since it's like okay or her since so it is it's worth Yes, there is a natural mourning process or a detangling process. But anything like cord cutting ceremonies are brilliant as well. So we do create etheric or energetic cords between people. And they're not just negative, like all of our good friends. Um, And again, that might sound a bit kind of woo-woo or a bit far-fetched. But if you think about those times in your life, and I'm sure most of us can identify that you're just thinking Thinking of a friend. And then the day after you bump into them or they call you or you haven't seen them for years. And that is that energetic connection. So they're really necessary and important it's the thing is it's 
there are lots there's so many different dynamics so even though to go to your example there of okay I dated someone for two years I spent six months kind of clearing out the closet so to speak feel as though okay that's that's settled and then a year later I bump into them on the street and think what's this about the thing that I I have to remind people often is that we're not always privy to the why we're curious mm. beings, so we want to know the why. Why is this happening? Why did I bump into him again? And um, to quote Carolyn Mize, a uh, fabulous spiritual teacher, she often says, well, if an angel came down and said, right, ask me any question, and you said, why did my father leave me when I was young, or whatever, or why did that boyfriend bump into And the angel just went, because... We would be so kind of, no, there must be a reason, there must be a reason. And yes, there is a reason to everything, but we're not always privy to it. So there are so many different things kind of all coinciding. So we can't always, sometimes I have to remind people in readings, don't get hung up on trying to look Figure for the meaning the light, of yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. Because you can dig and dig, and, and but because there are so many tangents to that thing. In all honesty, in my readings, love is often the most difficult aspect in a reading because there are so many variables because we are working because if I'm talking about health or job or home they're often so self-initiated that they're much easier to kind of um, account for the variables but when it's two people yeah it's it's a lot more complicated actually energetically figuring out if people are with somebody or not is actually quite difficult interestingly enough I can tell somebody where they live in what part of the country I can tell them you know their mother's name but if they're with somebody it's slightly murkier than you know eight times out of ten it's fine but there is it's not always clear-cut because it's so kind of complex but in terms of what you can do the in its core you need to I remember I um, there was a really good friend of mine who broke up with somebody and she said, I decided to look at all the qualities that I really enjoyed about this other person and cultivate them in myself. Mm. And I thought that was like, oh, that's such a good way. Of, so good. It's, it's utterly ingenious. It's really profound. And I think that this is the issue is that a lot of people don't turn immediately to self-love. Yeah. And I feel that that's by far the biggest um, cure to that kind of lamenting and that tension and that kind of drawn out is actually look at how you can nourish and um, sustain yourself. Well, I think it then becomes this thing of when that love goes, they don't recognize that self-love remains or perhaps it doesn't enough and they haven't cultivated it. But that, that piece you just mentioned of, you know, often if we romanticize the situation and it might not have even been that significant a relationship in terms of the length of time or whatever, but we're really hung up on that person. I think that is such a useful thing to be like, okay, what are the aspects of them that I'm very drawn to or attracted to? How can I cultivate that for myself? Or like, what do I need to do in my own life to kind of bring about those things? Because it's often almost, it can be like a bit of, I guess envy in a way. Mm. These people that we we put these people on a pedestal because mm. they often possess something that we think that we can't achieve or that we don't possess ourselves. So I think that's a really useful piece of advice. And also something on the back of that is 
this is why I often find the language around soulmates and twin flames sometimes dangerous. Um, because I think it does have its place and and its applications for sure. But we've got to remember that soul connections can be just as much about teaching us about ourselves or, or those, you know, your worst enemy can be a soul connection as much as your greatest lover. So sometimes they have been introduced in our lives and taken away again so that we understand the process of loss or we, we're resolving something that is perhaps from past lives past life, or there's a karmic debt to clear. Mm-hmm. And that's often accounts for that intensity of connection, but then also accounts for why it's not meant to be meant yeah. to be. You've kind of had to, right, I've done that. We've cleared that now, now moving forward. What do people say about twin flames that you think might be people get wrong about it? And what does it mean to you? So twin flames um, kind of etymologically, <laughs> a big word, um, is... Uh, the process that um, the gods became jealous of man or wanted to punish man because we originally started off as two-headed and four-armed beings and so we angered the gods so they cleaved us and split us into two and um, as the as the story goes for greater punishment one of the souls is uh, not incarnate and the other soul is incarnate so that they can never meet and then only once they meet at the same time on earth and then join then they no longer reincarnate so that's kind of the oh wow I did not know that yeah that's really beautiful take on it I suppose very as, tragic. Yes, as the kind of Greek Greek myths often are, <laughs> so it's very fitting. Um, I think the thing with twin flames is it's just about this idea of perfection, I suppose. Mm, that there's this one exactly, and I'm going to be complete when we when we uh, when there's a union when we unite with that one, then I'll become whole. Mm-hmm. It's it's often why I um, and this is very personal, I know, but oh, this is my better half. It's like. You're a hole. You're a hole and you're a hole. I don't mean that kind of hole. I mean like a whole person and a complete person. It's not it's not this kind of click or oh, then everything kind of Yeah, because within that if it doesn't work out then you'll sort of feel exactly. that you're doomed for exactly. eternity, which exactly. is never a great thing. And to I've be seen left with. the repercussions. I've seen those clients that after my twin flame has now gone, where am I? Right. Where does that leave me? Where's my identity gone? Because mm. that archetype of a partner and that archetype of um, union has been shattered. Mm-hmm. So that they're left in an existential crisis. So I, I think that's part of why we sometimes need to be mindful about this kind of, this Disney princess rhetoric, I suppose. A hundred percent. You speak a lot and you communicate a lot in... Like, uh, in color so you see yes in color and you see people's auras and I was listening to something recently and it was you know you touched a moment ago about how everyone has a story of their kind of a spiritual thing that might have happened to them but they weren't necessarily spiritual mm. and I heard this story about it was I think his name was John Diaz and he was on he was a guest of Oprah and I was listening to Oprah at the time and it was, I know she's amazing. <laughs> and it was this, it was the story and it really gave me shivers because it was say he was on a, on a plane that crashed and it was a Singapore Airlines plane that went down and he was one of the few survivors 
And he said when he was there and witnessing the whole thing, it was like Dante's Inferno. It was horrific Oof. and people were burning. But And Oof. he said that he wasn't a spiritual person. But what he did see at this time was that he saw people's, like a light coming out of people's heads. And he yeah. said, the only way I could describe it is that it was people's auras and some were brighter than others. And it felt like that was how an indication of how they'd lived their life. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from that experience was that I wanted to be someone that had a bright aura and that went out with a bright aura. Gosh. And it was just such a, I don't know, a story that I was like, wow, that's so yeah. fascinating that at that kind of moment that someone that wasn't you know, a spiritual mm. person witnessed something like that. But the reason I wanted to bring it up because I know it's a very important part of your work and your language and something that people know a bit about, but still not that much. So would you be able to kind of explain how it, how you use that in your practice? This is, so as a bit of a background, this is partly um, uh, kind of catalyzed by the fact that I am very, very creative, as I spoke about before, and I am a very, very visual person. So part of working in fashion. So it's not necessarily that because as um, psychics or intuitives or mediums or however you want to describe it, just as we have physical senses that are stronger in us than in others. So for instance, my sister's got an amazing olfactory um, ability. She's got amazing sense of smell. Um, whereas I don't really, but my vision's very good. So too, in spiritual and psychic practices, we have what are called the clairs. Um, so clair from the French meaning clear. So it's our clear hearing, our clear seeing, our clear smelling. So when I'm in a sitting, for me, a lot of my information comes through as a visual impression, a kind of projection on my mind. Um my clear audience, my ability to hear has increased over time, but it wasn't a natural thing in me. So now I'll hear words or I'll hear songs or I'll and hear... And the vision is like clairvoyant, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So when people say, oh, I went to see a clairvoyant, that's, that's often what they mean. And sometimes it's used interchangeably, but they're not always the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work very, very clairvoyantly. So for me, I... the. I work a lot with symbols and colour because, again, this is this is really, for me, a psychic language. Because I'm trying to translate energy into language, mm-hmm. it's a very difficult thing to do because it's a bit reductive. Mm-hmm. It's you're taking this vast concept and trying to kind of articulate it. It's, words aren't always perfect for that kind of journey. So what sometimes in my settings I can see people going, why are you, why are you talking about a blue... Um, a blue budgery guard. What? What, are you, what? What is he talking about? But what? What's useful about that is because if I say to you, "Oh, you're really tired," and you go, oh, "Yeah, I'm quite tired," but if I say, "Oh, they're giving me an image of a hamster on a wheel," for instance, that's more evocative for ha- in which way you're tired. So these symbols tend to stay with people much longer. But I also understand that sometimes for people they can be a little bit more obtuse. They can be a little bit more. Not necessarily obtuse, esoteric, I suppose. They're kind of, it, it takes a little bit. So there's kind of pluses and minuses to the way I work. But in terms of colour, um, again, I just, it's something that really, really speaks to me. I think colour is so evocative. 
um, and it is so spiritual and it informs and you know we quipped before of um, this cult leader look that I'm cultivating <laughs> but there is a reason that I've wanted to start wearing white because I was walking down not knocking anybody that's wearing black in the room um, but I was walking down the streets of London just saw a sea of black and mm. I just thought oh but for me aura colors as well are such a reflection as you were saying before of somebody's personalities their humors their um what's going on for them energetically at that particular time so anytime that somebody sits down to me nine times out of ten eight times out of ten that's where I'll start because it's for me the easiest in because mm -hmm. it's the most evident part of people for people that might be a bit skeptical of tarot and I think there's sometimes I don't know I was brought up in quite a Christian framework so tarot was like devil's work the devil's playing cards <laughs> yes <laughs> so how how is that kind of how did you gravitate towards that and did that feel like picking up a language that you already knew because for people that perhaps are like mm. trying to tap into these aspects of themselves what would your advice be like if they wanted to kind of learn tarot or to kind of harness their intuitive powers or whether they think they have something going on like what would your advice be on that it's interesting the most viral video i've ever made was can you be a christian and read the tarot bizarre oh, really? of all the ones that of all the teachings <laughs> of all the stuff I've ever spoken about it yeah. was it was one of those things, and it was getting shared in like um Christian meet groups on Facebook and it like it was it just yeah it just went really right it's it's really really interesting because for me personally the tarot brought me closer to God and again that might sound preach um <laughs> but it, it really really did and actually what's great is that within the tarot there are there is Adam and Eve, there's Jesus, there's um, the Madonna, there are those characters within it. So uh, I, I, it's not, um, it's funny, it's like the tarot are doing uh, kind of opened arm to the Christians, but the Christians are going, no, 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 we don't want anything to do with that party, which is, which is fair enough. And I think some of the images in, in the tarot are very, very evocative. Um, so I, I, I do understand it. But I in, think what my, my mum always says, because she fears that it's sort of putting too much faith in a human being as opposed Aww. to it being faith in, in God. That's what, and I think because people fear that it's sort of, tells them things they don't want to know or messes with fate and you, I'm sure you've experienced people that come to you that then sort of do place so much responsibility on you to be their guru and guide and everything is resting on what you're going to say or what the cards are going to say and that in itself can be a slightly dangerous place to be I know I've got friends that I'm Absolutely. like you need, you need to chill out on the Absolutely. on the sessions and stuff Absolutely. And there is a moral obligation for me and my team to ensure that that doesn't happen. So mm -hmm. one thing that we um, we do advise, we've even written to clients sometimes and said, you've booked in one too many times. We've just very kindly declined your latest booking. Please come back in a month. And really? yeah. We do, you know, we, we're very, very aware of that. One thing that I always say right at the beginning of every reading is take what's helpful, leave what isn't. Never do something just because I say so or the, the cards have said so 
always, always allow your intuition and your instinct on anything to be your first port of call. Mm -hmm. And then if this backs it up, great, do it. If it inspires you, great, do it. If you come away thinking, that sounds brilliant, I really want to do that, fabulous. But we will never, never dictate, go and do this. Mm. We'll never force anybody's hand or a good reader shouldn't. And the other thing that we always clarify is that... um, it's not about fortune telling it's not prediction it is merely possibilities and probabilities that lay in front of you that you may or may not want to move towards but like anything in our lives where we place our focus attention and time is what's going to cultivate so again the the, the, the analogy I often use is if you go to the gym every day you're going to get fit that's not fortune telling that's effect and um, that's cause and effect and that's kind of what we're looking at and then also it's a really interesting I'd never thought of that actually we are placing too much prevalence on a human not God but for me in my readings again this might sound like the messiah <laughs> might sound like the ego thing but it is a conversation with God because mm. you I mean obviously for people that are listening they ha- that haven't had a reading with you mm. you do have a very specific way of doing it that is amazing but you are communicating is it with your spirits or my spirits or whoever you're with because it's it's like nothing I've ever experienced before and it was an incredible thing to witness and would you be able to explain a little bit about that and the, what it's the mechanics like? it's mm-hmm. funny I was literally about to go on to it so it's, it's, it's perfect <laughs> perfect question I just want to say as a very quick aside one of the best summations I've ever had of a reading as somebody a client can he said, I just feel like I've seen an hour-long play, a, a one-man play, and the whole play was about me. I thought that was the best <laughs> review ever. I was like, yes, that's exactly what a reading is. So in terms of the mechanics, in certain way, I don't know. And I purposely don't get too hung up on the mechanics of what's going on, because I think if I start to insert myself too mm-hmm. much, it, it kind of starts to, to make it crunchy. But from the little tweaks that I've that I've sent out um it's uh, it's a real mixture of so many things that are going on so in part my guides are chatting to your guides my guides are going up to source and pulling information down from there there are times that I'm reading your inf- um so I'm using my psychic ability so I'm not necessarily using my guides but I'm using so when I'm looking at your aura mm-hmm. that'll be through my own intuitive and again we all have that we all have you know it's in our lexicon when people say oh I didn't like him he had a really bad aura that's what we mean or you know when people when you feel people are getting too close it's because they're encroaching on your energetic space Mm -hmm. and there is a definite kind of crossover point so again this is not kind of uh, it's just more heightened in me because I've been doing it more Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of the only reason yeah but Fingal thank you so much for joining us with your wisdom i'm so pleased to have you on the show yeah it's been gorgeous thank you and we'll see you soon bye i hope you enjoyed this conversation between myself and finkel i really like what he talked about in terms of seeing things or working with symbols and color and how that's kind of his own personal way but you know on reflecting on this conversation i think we have our own abilities to interpret things, to kind of tap into our intuitive knowing and our gifts, however great or small they may be. If you want to hear more from Fingal, you can find him 
and a collection of other practitioners at the Wellness Foundry. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Saturn Returns. And if you enjoyed it and found it useful, I would love it if you could share it with a friend or write us a review on Apple because that really does help us get discovered by more like-minded free thinkers like yourself. And as always, remember, you are not alone. Goodbye.